You're listening to Cybersecurity Inside, a podcast focused on getting you up to speed on issues in cybersecurity with engaging experts and stimulating conversations. To learn more, visit us at intel.com slash cybersecurity inside. What are the components within that supply chain? And can we verify that those are actually the right components? You can get the benefits of AI without having to share too much of your own personal data. Holy cow, there's so many places this could go wrong now, right? And, and how do I secure all of this? Hi, and welcome to the Cybersecurity Inside Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Garrison, and with me, as usual, is my co-host, Camille Moorhart. Today, we're going to jump right into the interview. Our guest today is Charlie Shrek, and he was a professional cricketer for Kent, oh my goodness, I'm going to butcher this name, Leicestershire and Nottinghamshire for 17 years. He now makes a living working as the head of engineering for cybersecurity services company Redscan, which recently became part of Crawl. As a cricketer, Charlie enjoyed devising ways to get out of the best batters, including the current England captain. I'm sure there's some stories there and uses this same mindset to help develop solutions to the latest cyber criminals. So welcome to the podcast, Charlie. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. I wonder if we could just start with what made you want to go into security, number one? And what gave you the confidence that said, well, yeah, I can do that? Okay, I'll tackle the first part. First, I mean, the, a lot of it was necessity. I had to find a living. The standard I got to for cricket, I could earn a living, but there wasn't future planning, as it were. There wasn't an affordability to be able to say, okay, I'm just going to stay in this game forever. I wanted to keep some competitive nature have some insight and analysis of what was going on rather than just doing a laboring job that the sporting world would generally fit into in physiotherapy or continue coaching, that sort of stuff. I like the idea, as most people do when they look at security, of pen testing. I then realized very quickly that that was going to be very, very hard to get into because it's a wannabe area, but it's a cybersecurity function. And then realized that cybersecurity was so large and so broad that I found an area within it that would be the engineering area where there was setting up a program, figuring out logging, that sort of more detail, and then more how that works against threat actors. And I thought, okay, well, that's good. It's a challenge. Whereas in sport, you have a challenge. Cricket is a weird sport. It's a team game, but it's an individual against an individual at the same time. Say a bowler is taking on a batter, or in American terms, a pitcher is taking on a, a hitter or a batter. You can spend three hours to a day trying to figure out how to get a batter out. It's complicated. They have ways of negating how you're trying to get them out and they're trying to score. It gets complicated. It's funny because in baseball, the big ding against baseball is that it's too slow. A batter in a baseball might be a minute or two or three before they either make it to the base or they're out but cricket you just said that it, could, it might be days so i played generally four day cricket so you'd start off knowing that you'd be playing for four days and then if it went well it would be less than that but the standard up from where i go which is test match which i got to, i didn't get to they uh, they play for five days which is a batter is looking to bat for a day and a half and score as many runs as he can in that time and a bowler is obviously looking to stop him from scoring and get him out in that. T so 
then give his batters the opportunity to be able to bat for that long. There's a lot of assessment. There's a lot of figuring out of technique. There's a lot of figuring out how they're trying to score and play the game. And there's analysis on the back of it. And even let's say you've bowled at them all day, you still got to go at the end of the day and figure out what did I do right? What did I do wrong? How can I sort this out the next day? Because obviously you don't want to keep having one batter scoring freely the next day. I realized very quickly that there's the assessment factor and the self-analysis of what you do and how you did it moving into a security function in IT or engineering. I mean, it can be in pretty much any job in security that you always have to analyze what they've done or how they've done it and then how you can negate that and then get the upper hand eventually at a later time. So I enjoyed that. I can relate a lot to that. And it's almost a competitive environment in the security world as much of it as in cricket, maybe more so because there's more at stake. You've got your customers that are at risk if you don't analyze and assess it properly and move quickly, create a solution, especially when a threat actor is actually getting into a customer's environment. There's a lot of crossovers. Hey, Charlie, were you ever like a IT nerd or geek or something like that when you were in sport? It's one of my catchphrases almost when trying to describe the shift. When I was playing cricket, I was the geek. I was the nerd because I was the one that was fixing their computers. I was sorting out their home networks. A camera wasn't working. They'd come and get me to fix it. Now that I've moved into security, I'm basically the jock. I'm the one that was the sporty guy that doesn't have all of the technical requirements or didn't have it from a very young age. That, I think, is the main crossover of understanding how people see you when you're approaching a task or a meeting or anything like that. So, yeah, I was... In regard to a sporting world, very techy. But then when I get into the security world, I wasn't that techy. But I'm learning still four or five years on from the changeover. Is it possible for anybody who's interested in the cybersecurity space to move into it? It sounds like you came in with one kind of an interest in pen testing, but then realized this was a gigantic field. Is it something that's learnable or had you not had that background or interest from the very beginning? Would it have been extra difficult to move into? So I came in with a very open mind of trying to understand how it was done and how it was deployed and how people are understanding from both sides, as in the threat actor or from the company that's being attacked. Even if you have no experience in it, you can come in, you can figure it out. You can figure out the main technique, the best practices that you would follow. They're all laid out for you. They were for me. It was a realization more after probably six months that actually from the outside, it isn't as scary and it isn't as complicated as you think if you follow the best practices that you've been given that are out there and freely available for you to find. Because the vendors that deliver the tools have it there. There's plenty of frameworks that you can follow to see how that threat actors are attacking companies. It's there for you. You just need to go and find it and then absorb it almost. I was lucky because I came from an area that I didn't have any preconceptions. I wasn't delivered down a path to then try and come into this and say, right now I have to adjust to it. I was completely fresh and completely raw in it. I was like a sponge for the first year, two years, and I, I probably still am picking up how things are being done. I'd say in that, yes, to answer your question, yes, but with an open mind. You're going to have to be able to pick up a lot of stuff very quickly. As an industry, the security space is one that right now is so lacking of people to come work in the industry. And I think a lot of it is because, quite frankly, of intimidation and fear where they feel like 
I don't have the background or I don't really have the skills required to do it. You know, you mentioned just a second ago that there are tools that exist. And if you just sit down and, and sort of learn the tools and learn the techniques, that this is something you can build up over time. And I wonder if you could just spend maybe just a minute or two and just kind of walk through that, especially from the perspective of a new person that just is coming in the door, maybe has just decided to sort of make the leap into security and do penetration testing or some other form of security work. When my first manager, when I was on the first job, whenever I came to him with an issue that I thought I couldn't really figure out, his first question was always, without a doubt, have you Googled it? Have you looked for someone else to have that issue and have they found a solution for it? Because they've done the heavy lifting for you. So that straight away made a huge impression on me, purely because someone else will have had the same problem. Using the same tools, you're attacking the same problem. You're not going to be on your own. Use the internet, find it. It's there. It's an amazing tool to have. Once you do go past that, then go through into the communal chat forums, the actual documentation, albeit we don't like reading documentation. Generally, it's there and it's available and the vendor has tried to give you as much help as possible with the tools that you're using. So there's no reason why someone who can understand text and can understand how to use the internet and find and relate certain scenarios and certain solutions together to find a solution, which is at the end of the day is what we're looking for. Regardless of if you're just starting on a service desk in an IT company or you're a CTO of a powerful company or influential company, you're still just looking for a solution. Try and use as much resource as you can is how I've attacked it. And if I'm in a scenario where I feel a little bit underdone or a little bit put under the spot, that's generally my fallback. But that also relates to a sporting environment or actually any other environment where you're looking for someone who's had that experience, who, how have they dealt with it? How have you moved it through? How have you got over it? Um, the internet is just putting their arm around you and saying, it's going to be okay. You can figure it out and move on. Can you talk a little bit more about how you balance kind of following policy and practice diligently and at the same time think outside the box? Yeah, I mean, that was an advantage I had coming in was because I wasn't aligned to the same thinking that everybody else was. It's almost as if they take the best practice. This is how it's done. They've done their research in the background on the chat forums and what's been published and go, okay, well, this is the solution. Yes, they're there, but it's how you interpret how they've done it, how you then move on. So yes, there is an element to you using it, but you've still got that information there and then you still have to make a decision on how to use that. If you have all of that best practice and all of the information you're being given, then you take what the scenario you have, you still have to apply it to that scenario. And yes, there is an element to following the lead, but then there is also an element to, okay, let's take a step back. Let's see it from a different angle and, and move it forward. I'll try and give you an example where we have in RedScan Crawl, we have 12 different technologies that we use to cover our customers so that then we have almost a complete coverage. So we align it to which customer needs what. It's a lot of tooling. Now, we needed a way to be able to keep an eye on all of this, to be able to make sure that it all staying up and it's all delivering a service in the correct way. Because there's so many, we got lost almost when I first started. And there wasn't a way of being able to understand if one technology was performing as it should compared to another. So we brought in another layer that monitors all of them together in a simple view so we can see all of them lining up. Now, 
that isn't best practice because you're adding another tooling to monitoring all of this stuff. But it delivered in an easy, simple way for all of the engineers to be able to see all of their platforms all at once to see if they're ticking over in the right way. Now, we saw best practice and the best practice is to monitor them within their own environment and monitor their own platforms within that platform. But we couldn't do it because we had so many. So we had to make a decision and say, okay, here's the best practice. This is what we're supposed to be doing, but we can't do it. So we're going to follow best practice on another tool and it's working. We got lost following best practice on one side. So we thought we'd come in at a different angle and we are following best practice in another area that's contradicting the other, other tools, but we got what we wanted. That's it's a great example of something that you see all the time. Does, doesn't matter what sport you're talking about. There's the way that you would traditionally approach an opponent that may or may not work. If it doesn't work, you don't just hang up and quit and walk away. You, you got to find something else. You got to try something else until something finally works. So I think that's a great example. You mentioned something a minute or two ago about the fact that you came in with such a different background, that that actually was a bit of, I'll put a word in your mouth, it's almost like a superpower for you because you're not like everybody else. So you approach problems uniquely. Do you think that that applies really for anyone, especially somebody coming in from the security world? The more different they are, that may turn out to be an advantage for them because they're going to have a different point of view, a different perspective, maybe a different way of tackling a problem than everyone else with similar background? Oh, without a doubt. The more opinions you get, the more opinions and the difference of opinion, you're then in a better place to make a better decision. You've hired for a position, you get some new blood into an area, you've got a young person who is free thinking, understands the concept, and they've come in and given you more ideas how to solve problem. They see how you've got it set up in your area slightly differently and they start making suggestions on, why are you doing it this way? Why can't you do it this way? This seems convoluted. It's a lot more simple if you do it this way. There's a lot of time that you have because you're almost numb to the way that things are done and the process and the delivery of your service, you almost get blinkered into not being able to see the better solution. Coming in from a different world, coming into a, an environment that is so almost strict in process. And if you move away from the checklists and have you done this right, have you got that in? It's almost enlightening. It's, it's freeing. Obviously, eventually, I'll get numbed to it and start being sort of blinkered in the same way. Because I'm trying to understand certain ways of being done, I'm still questioning, well, why are you doing it like that? There's two different ways to think about that, too. There's the perspective you're sharing right now, which is from the new yeah. person. But the people that just hired you, it really independent of what industry you're in, but certainly in security, it takes some discipline and patience to listen to those new perspectives coming in and not just saying, well, we do yeah. it this way because that's the way we do it. Effectively yeah. cutting off the discussion or the dialogue. And maybe 90% of the things, they just don't know something. But there's that 10%, the value of that new person. There's a phrase in sport, it's the one percenters that win you the game. It's the same in this. It's the, that 1% change that you would get that would, you think, oh, actually, no, that makes sense. You look into it, go further, and then go, no, this, this helps a lot. This has improved our service 10%, 12%. It's lightened the load on some engineers. 
It's cracking a method so that then the servers don't run so quickly. There's a whole lot that goes on there. But as a hiring manager, I look for that sort of enthusiasm and that drive to think and look slightly outside the box and just to question everything. The bowler is one of the major strategic thinkers on the team. And obviously, you're head of engineering in your present position. So is leadership different? I mean, is it the same exact kind of thing? Or does it map over? Or what's different about it in the business world versus the world of sport? Other than egos, nothing really. The character they're trying to take upon in sport, it has to be that sort of macho, I can hit you further than anyone, I can throw it faster than anyone, that sort of thing. The business world, it's slightly more subtle, but it's still understanding how people function, how they work, what gets them going, what motivates. That doesn't change in any way. There's still exactly the same methodology. The learning of how to deal with people and the learning of how people tick and how you can talk to people and how you motivate people and how you you understand their drive. There's no difference from sport to business to even social. It doesn't change. Being able to understand and allocate people to what they're good at and what they're not good at is also very similar. So in a sporting area, you would have people who are good at bowling, batting, but then you've also got sub-genres within that of people who are good at facing spin or fast bowling, people who are good at fielding, people who can't bat, people who can bat. You put them in certain areas so that when that scenario rears its head, they can deal with it. The same in, in security world where you know and you have to understand who's good at what for what particular time so that when something has gone down and there needs to be instant reaction to it and you need to have someone on it and fixing it and you have to have full faith, you know who can do that within the team. It's just an understanding of people and there's a relationship that you have with them that uh, I think won't change within the sporting world, within business and especially security. Would you be more apt to hire somebody who has a background in sports? <laughs> Good question. Especially since I went through it, I know what I was lacking and I had to work very hard to get those areas up to speed. But I definitely would know if they were coming from a sporting world where they would be very strong. Yes. So, I mean, to answer your question, yes, I would employ them if they had enough skill to, to be able to handle it. And there's faith. Yes. I've got a question then. Do you think that the weaknesses tend to map over? So, you know, what would it be? It would be not expecting a certain thing, maybe in sport or putting a time pressure on it when somebody should wait. Does the same kind of strength and the same kind of weakness you think map over from world to world? Yeah. I mean, there's some examples where I'd be looking for of how you cope with pressure. So in a sporting world, in every game, there is a crunch moment that it's either a win or lose. If you don't get that right, it's over. And it's how you handle that situation. That crosses over very, very easily into a security world. If you've got a change to make or you've got to make an analysis on something that if you don't get it right and you start to flap under that pressure, the stress level increases and it's contagious once you get into it. And then people around you start to lose it. If they can't handle that and they start spreading that stress and that anxiety, you can't really have them in your team, in either a team environment or in the business world, because you can't have your team falling over under that pressure. I think that's good advice and something certainly I've seen over the years. And, and obviously, didn't play professional sports, but I did play sports growing up. And you're so correct about this, how people deal with stress. It's not an individual action. How one person deals with stress 
has a transmitting effect to the people around them. And a different sport, the sport I played growing up was basketball. And basketball is such a mental sport. Guys can hit shots and, and everything from all around the floor, seemingly without even needing to look at the basketball hoop. But that's when they're confident. And when they get hit, they miss a few shots. And all of a sudden, you can see them just sort of mentally crumble. And now they can't even hit the easiest shots. It's crazy how mental sport can be. And then also, I see that translating to the work environment as well. You can feed on positivity and sort of build people up and build yourself up. Or you can either knowingly or unknowingly tear people down. England won the Rugby World Cup in 2003. And with three minutes to go, Johnny Wilkinson, our kicker, scored two points. And you can see him mouthing World Cup, World Cup, World Cup, thinking he'd won it. But actually what he was saying was teacup, which is think clearly under pressure and shouting at everybody and going, okay, relax, take it easy. We've got to think clearly now for the next four or five minutes and we'll be okay. He was completely in the zone to say, right, we're in the lead now. Let's just stay calm and we'll be all right. From your journey, you went from a totally different world into security. Do you have any words of advice for people that might be considering a similar kind of transition? Well, I think we touched on a few of them. One is that don't panic. There's always going to be an answer for you. There's going to be a solution. So if you're fearful of getting into this environment, it isn't as bad as you think. As long as you stay calm and you can basically think clearly and all you've got to do is resolve the situation, trust that you can do it. The information's out. All you need is to be able to resolve the problem. And that's pretty much what I've done over the last four years and learned how to deal with it. And then the experiences come together. I honestly think that it's a good area to be in. It's a growing environment. It's something that I think a lot of people will get a lot of enjoyment about from. I do. I mean, I came into it not really assessing the enjoyment factor, that it's here. And there is an element, there's the adrenaline rushes when you figure something out and when you get it Working is the same as being on a sporting field. I don't miss that side of it because it's there. It's in the job role. Would you say that finding big security vulnerability gives you the same sort of high as, I don't know what the word is, striking out the England captain? You don't have the crowd cheering you in the background, but other than that, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Or celebrating with you, yeah. But definitely when you achieve something and you figure something out and you cracked it, there is definitely an element to... I mean, I don't get out of the chair and start running around getting high fives from everyone, but there is a definite joy out of it. Charlie, before we let you go, we have a segment on our podcast that we invite guests and Camille and I join in as well to share some interesting fun fact, piece of trivia that you think that the listeners may find enjoyable or entertaining or just make them go, oh, I didn't know that. A group of baboons is called a flange or a troop. So you have various animals that you have titles for what they're called. The fact that a group of baboons is called a flange isn't from any scientific background or anything like that. It was quite literally made when a BBC sketch called Not the Nine O'Clock News didn't know what it was called and they just made a word up and said it's, it's a flange. And now it's official that a group of baboons is called a flange right, or a troop, which is its actual name. It's made it into the science books now. Oh, that's great. Camille, how about you? Okay, so I was reading my son one of his favorite books. It's called The Element in the Room. And 
I'm reading this little piece about copper, and it turns out that, according to this book, snails, crabs, and lobsters, copper plays the same role that iron plays in our blood, in their blood, and their blood is blue. That's very cool. I was dumbstruck. Had no idea. I did not know that either. Actually, copper, I know copper for human cells is very toxic. We didn't coordinate this, so this is interesting to me, but I'm also in the world of animals for my fun fact. It's kind of a two-parter. So it has to do with ostriches. I happen to have the opportunity to go to Africa for a business trip. And I remember driving back to the airport and looking off to the side of the road, just like here in the U.S., you'll see deer or whatever off the side of the road. And there it was an ostrich, which I just thought was kind of cool. First of all, I'd heard something about this where they can run faster than a horse. They're really, really fast birds. They're massive too, by the way, but they're very fast. And the second one, which I did not know, is that the male ostrich can roar like a lion. Did one roar at you or was that it? So it may have. I didn't hear it. So there we will. We'll end it here. Charlie, thank you so much for spending the time with us and talking about your journey from the world of professional sport to now a very successful member of the security community. Thank you. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cybersecurity Inside. Follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Morehart on Twitter to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation.